This is episode number 333 with Director of Data Science, Sinan Ozdemir. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Hey everybody, this episode is brought to you by Data Science Insider, our own, our very own newsletter, which comes in your inbox every Friday. So I'll make this one brief. Basically, you go to superdatascience.com slash DSI and sign up for an absolutely free, amazing newsletter, uh, which is curated by our team. We look at the top developments in artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, and other exponential technologies which are relevant to us as data scientists. So we look at the top five developments in the past week. We put them together, put some images, put a short description for each one, send them out in an email, put the link which takes you straight directly to the source if you wanna read further. And that way you can stay up to date with what exactly is happening in the world of data science and artificial intelligence. So once again, the link is superdatascienceoneword.com slash DSI, which stands for Data Science Insider. So head on over there and sign up today and start receiving your updates on technology that is relevant to your career already this week. And by the way, in this podcast with Sinan, you will hear at the end how he is actually benefiting a lot from newsletter updates and we talk about the ones that are our favorites so this one can be your favorite as well on that note let's get straight into the episode welcome back to the super day science podcast ladies and gentlemen super super pumped and excited to have you on today's episode we got off the phone with Sanan a couple of hours ago, and what a blast. I am so excited to bring you today's episode, and I'm really happy that it's got the magic number of 333 because it totally deserves that number, totally deserves to be special and unique. The conversation was extremely insightful. So straight to the point, here's what you will hear on today's episode. You will hear how Sinan's company, Kylie.ai, was acquired. If you've been with the podcast for long enough, you'll remember that Sinan's appeared already twice on the podcast. And most recently, he told us about his new startup, Kylie.ai, and the magic they were doing in the space of natural language processing. And recently, in 2019, they were actually acquired by Directly. And with that acquisition, Sinan has now become the director of data science at Directly and he's leading a team there. It's so exciting what's been happening in his world. You're going to love it. Then we'll talk about explainable AI. We'll talk about bias in artificial intelligence. And then Sinan will give us actual examples, case studies of how they're applying NLP in a AI plus human synergy for companies such as Airbnb, Microsoft, and others. We'll actually, actually walk us through two case studies, one for Airbnb and one for Microsoft. Then we'll talk about building company-specific AI models and 
even product-specific AI models and what that means for the world of AI. We'll talk more about the acquisition. We'll talk about hiring. By the way, they're hiring at Directly. They're hiring data scientists and data engineers. Uh, you don't have to be based in the San Francisco Bay Area. It is preferable, but if you're not there, you can also apply and you'll learn all the details about the jobs. They'll be somewhere around in the middle of the podcast. So make sure to listen to that if you're looking for a job in data science or you're interested in this company, which you will be after this podcast. Sounds like a very exciting place to work. Uh, then you can hit Sinan up or apply for their jobs directly. Then we talked about sharing deep model, deep learning models in the world. We touched on briefly on things like Flask, Django, Doc, Docker, containers, Kubernetes. And then we dove into the world of natural language processing. This whole second part of the podcast is about natural language processing. You will learn about state-of-the-art NLP frameworks such as Google's BERT, which has been the top of the talk for everybody in 2019. You'll also learn about squad, uh, word masking, bidirectional, what, why bidirectional, why BERT is bidirectional, what that means. Um, you'll learn about the transfer theory, uh, conversational design, and many, many more topics. In a nutshell, epic podcast. Can't wait for you to check it out. You're going to love it. So without further ado, let's dive straight into it. And I bring to you, without further ado, nobody else but the legendary Mr. Sinan Ozdemir. Welcome back to Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm super excited, as you can probably hear from my voice, to welcome for the third time around the one and only Sinan Ozdemir. Sinan, welcome, my friend. How are you going? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm always happy to be here. It is so cool. I don't know. I just have this amazing feeling every time I talk to you. You just have some great energy about you. Well, um, thank you. Yeah. Like, why? Why do you think that is? Well, that's actually a really interesting point that you bring up because uh, as listeners of the podcast may or may not know from my other times on here, I actually come from academia. I was a lecturer at Johns Hopkins where I was teaching computer science and machine learning. And I always knew that my favorite part about working at Johns Hopkins was actually the teaching. And more specifically, teaching people who had no idea what I was talking about <laughs> and then making sure that by the time they were done with the class, they actually understood and could hold a conversation about it. And I think with data science, especially because it's such a new field, there are so few people who are majoring in it, getting degrees in it. It's really satisfying to talk about data science because it's a, it's a topic that a lot of people don't understand. And it's a topic that a lot of people don't really know what the right questions to ask are. So every time someone uh, like you or or someone else, they, they ask me about, you know, what is data science and how does it all work? I get really excited because I get to explain something that they don't really understand and hopefully they'll walk away understanding it. Fantastic. No, that's, that's a great way uh, to put it. And now with the recent developments, you can teach, uh, you can explain to people business stuff as well. Like you just had your company acquired. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. My company, Kylie.ai, was recently acquired by Directly, and we're very, very excited about it. It's. It feels like, oh, like yesterday, even though I realized it probably was like one or two years ago when you were on the podcast the second time and you were 
very passionate and telling us about Kylie.ai and what you're building there. And like, it's so cool to see the success, you know, like uh, an acquisition is, is a great thing. It means a big company is recognizing what you're doing and you, you now have all this leverage through the other company to really impact even more people. Uh, tell us a bit about the process. Like how, how did that all happen? Like you were building your, your business. Did you, did you plan on, um, going through an acquisition? How did they get in touch? What happened? Yeah. So for us specifically, and this is kind of a mentality that I hold as well as my co-founder of Kylie, we never really went into this hoping for an acquisition. The, the plan wasn't to get acquired or, uh, or something like that. The plan was to build a solid business. And the idea was that if you build a solid business, and that means you know going through understanding your market, understanding your your profit, your expenses, your revenue, understanding all of that, building a solid business eventually will lead you down the path that you want. So our our mentality was always let's pretend, <laughs> or or you know let's work towards that we're going to IPO. You know what yeah. would it take to become a public company? And let's make wow. all the right choices along the way. And if something happens, you know, if someone, you know, catches, uh, we catch their attention and they, they kind of look at us and they are interested in acquisition, let's have that conversation. But let's not, let's not make every decision as if the whole point is to be acquired. Cause I think that's when you start making decisions where you start favoring things like, growth over our you know, growth of user base over growth of revenue and steady growth of revenue. So we always made every business decision as if we were going to be doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh -huh. Wonderful. Wow. And so how, how big did uh, you manage to grow the business? How big was the team? How many clients did you have? And in general, what triggered this interest from directly? Yeah. So the interest was triggered by so at the time we were hovering around 15 20 people and mm -hmm. we were servicing you know, some very large uh like some telcos and and some retail brands and what really caught directly's eye was the fact that what we were offering was full conversational automation with robotic process automation or rpa oh. Wow. So directly, yeah. So directly is actually in the business of customer success automation as well with yeah. human in the loop AI. Yeah. And with the, with the acquisition of Kylie, what that really brought to their business offering was full end to end conversation automation with that automation of back end processes as well. So the idea yeah. was always with Kylie. Customer support isn't just a conversation. It's also about the actions that take place throughout that conversation. If yeah, you chat like, into a... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So like someone putting in the details of the customer, making some notes along the way, uh, putting some flags here and there, adding them to a segmentation, uh, writing up some notes after the call, all that stuff, right? That, that too. But also even during the conversation, looking up information about the user to guide the conversation. A good example that I like to give is, let's say you're calling in or chatting into your internet provider and you have a question about your past bill. Maybe your question is, you know, why is the bill so high or why am I getting charged for this thing? Uh -huh. In the moment, the agent has to look up 
you know, first of all, who are you? <laughs> you know, who is this person chatting in? What is their account status? And to answer your question, I have to be able to see your bill in front of me. So even uh-huh. during that conversation, the agent or bot on the other side has to be able to, in real time, look up that information and then use that information to answer the question. And that's actually that next generation of conversational AI that Kylie was trying to, uh, that Kylie was offering to uh, its clients. So it's not just whenever the poster or the user speaks, how does a chatbot respond? What we were really about was, well, how do we respond with the context of all the information that the client has to offer? Uh huh. Uh huh. Very interesting. Putting the conversation into context on the fly, pretty much like as soon as they call, you already have the information up up there. Exactly. Because if someone says, I have a problem with my account, and that could be for a number of reasons. Maybe they're not currently a customer. Maybe their account was locked because their credit card was stolen. Maybe their account is shut down because someone shut it down a month ago. Having that Mm. context really disambiguates the person's question. And it's actually something the user may not even know themselves. All they know is, I can't log in. But they don't know why. The agent Mm -hmm. or bot on the other side can actually find out why and use that information in the conversation. That's really powerful. I can totally see how that adds business value to um, all your customers. Uh, can you tell us a bit more, especially for our listeners who haven't heard the previous podcast? By the way, if you haven't, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, what role does data science play in this product? Because like, we can already kind of gauge uh, how data science works in the product. But if you could describe it in a bit more detail, please. Of course. So data science, obviously, is a very big term. And there's a lot of subsets of data science that go into a product as advanced as conversational AI with RPA. And that really ranges from all the way from the kind of on the more analytics side where understanding the client's conversations and just knowing things uh, as simple as volume and how volume shifts throughout the day and, and, and what kinds of questions are coming in all the way to using deep learning and transfer theory to really understand the uh, the natural language coming in and to generate a response back. So we, we really run the spectrum between analytics all the way to deep learning and, and transfer theory to make sure that we are delivering state-of-the-art natural language processing, generation, and understanding, and making sure that we have the insights for our clients to understand um, you know, what's happening. Because a lot of the times when companies are deploying these really big behemoth deep learning models, they don't often come with this kind of insights platform is, well, how do I convey what our deep learning model is doing to our clients? How do we build that trust? Because these days when someone says, you know, we're using AI, we're using deep learning, we're using such and such, sometimes there are people who will say, uh, who, will, who will look at that and say, well, hold on a minute. W- what exactly are you doing with this data? What exactly... Are you, are you doing with this model? So we're really trying to build that trust with not only our clients, but our clients' customers, making sure that everyone understands how the AI is working and, and what controls we do have over the AI systems. 
Mm, that's a very interesting question because it is it has been in 2019 and I think even more so we will be in 2020 and beyond a central topic um, AI like explainable AI and the implications whether ethical or operational of having non-explainable AI and it's it's really cool always to hear when a company manages to get one step closer to explainable AI how do you mind sharing if of course you're if you're able to share how do you explain or how do you facilitate the explainability of your deep learning models of course and yeah it's really not a secret i i, I don't I, I don't think there's one single way to turn your deep learning models into an interpretable system. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and by the way, interpretability is one of my core kind of tenets of data science because it's it's really important to know how other people are using data around you. So as far as deep learning goes, I think there's this kind of this this gray area where where a data scientist can simply say, oh. You know, it's just a bunch of you know, matrices being multiplied together. There's really no way to know what's happening. I think that's kind of an excuse that data scientists can use to say, well, you know, I built this great model. Uh, I don't really have to explain how it works because that's too difficult. And I think that's not really the right way to approach it. I think even for deep learning, you have an opportunity to say, well, here are the inputs, here are the outputs, here's the training data. Here's where we got the training data. Here's what we did to the training data to make it more readable to the machine learning model. There are so many steps in between not having deep learning and having deep learning that you can mm -hmm. explain along the way. Something mm -hmm. as simple as where does the data come from can answer you know, sometimes a majority of our clients' questions. Because even mm -hmm. that is a mystery to some people is, well, where does all of this data come from? Where, where, how do you learn all of this? You know, where does that information and insight uh, derive from? So it's not always just about how does the model work, but sometimes it's as simple as, well, where does the data even come from? And then what do you do with it? And then how do you feed it back in to the system to update later on? Um, yeah, and does the data have bias? Which so, like to your point, what source it comes from? Maybe you're originally getting the data from a source that has bias inherent in it, and then therefore you're training your models based on biased data. Yeah, and, and bias was actually a big part of the talk I gave at Super Data Science last year is, is how do you know where the data is coming from? How do you know that the source is valid? And how do you confront those biases and resolve those biases? A big thing that Directly is actually doing is curating a network of subject matter experts around the globe to help understand and resolve those biases in our clients' data. So we are really working hard with uh, humans and AI together to resolve a lot of those biases that go that are fed into the models. Very interesting. So I love that. Like, what what are these subject matter experts? What do you do? Again, if you can share, I know there's probably some. Uh, sensitive information, but to the extent you can share, what do these subject matter experts do and what kind of data are they looking at? Of course. And that's, and again, this is not a secret. This is actually one of the core differentiators that directly offers is our expert intelligence platform. And, and what that really means is we are working with people around the world who actually have, uh, they have knowledge and a deep subject matter expertise 
in our client's offering. So a, a really simple example is one of our bigger clients is Airbnb. And mm. what we actually do is we we work with Airbnb super hosts around the world, people who use Airbnb daily just on their own. And then we go to these people and say, hey, listen, here is some data from Airbnb, like an intent matching problem. For example, if a if a user of Airbnb chats in and says something like, I need to rebook because my host canceled on me or something like that, we work with hosts who say, well, you know, I've been there. I understand this problem. So we're really making sure that our intent matching, our data labeling, our conversational flows are being audited and looked at by real people who understand our clients' offerings, not just directly employees, but people who really understand how Airbnb works. Wow. I am like listening with my... (laughs) like all ears this is so interesting you not only get to work on ai but you also work with real people to tailor that that's that's a that's probably living the definition of a synergy between artificial intelligence and human intelligence that's so cool absolutely yeah and and krill it's it's one of those things where i've spent a majority of my data science professional career teaching about how do we as data scientists find data, curate data, work with data, process data, model data, that sometimes we get, what gets lost in that mix is, well, the data comes from somewhere. <laughs> and usually yeah. that somewhere is humans. So uh, directly, yeah. we're really, it's really important to us to create that synergy between humans and AI. Because if you have AI without the humans, you start to see that degradation. Interpretability becomes difficult. It starts to become unruly. So working with our expert network is really what differentiates not just our business offerings, but our AI as well. Fantastic. That that was a very clear example with Airbnb that you gave. Are you able to share another example, maybe from a different industry? Yeah, of course. And and the, what's really easy about that is this really works across several uh, industries and domains. So Airbnb is one, but another one that is uh, pretty fresh in my mind uh, from the work that I've been doing is Microsoft. Now, mm-hmm. Microsoft being another client of directly. That is so cool. Congrats. Such big companies. That is so yeah, exciting. Of course. Thank you so much. And with Microsoft, it's actually in some ways, a better example, because Microsoft has so many offerings, right? They have LinkedIn, they have OneDrive, they have all these different unique product offerings that all Mm -hmm. require a different touch to their customer support. And they all require a different touch from their AI as well. And at Directly, just like at Kylie, we really focus on specialized company-specific AI models. So each one of our clients and each one of their product offerings can have a very granular level of AI and a model that's curated especially for them. Mm -hmm. So with Microsoft, for example, their OneDrive customer support and their LinkedIn customer support models can be very different because Mm -hmm. someone's saying, I can't log into my LinkedIn account versus I can't log into my OneDrive account, may have very different answers depending on 
the type of uh, product that they're using. For LinkedIn, it may be as simple as here's this website, here's how you you know, figure out how to log in. And for OneDrive, it could be more complicated. It could say, well, you're going to have to come back in at this time and do this and do that. So the answer may change, even though it's all under the big umbrella company, Microsoft. So it's really important for us to understand, not just at a company level, but at a product offering level, how the AI is going to be different between them. That is crazy. Yeah, I was just thinking that you're moving not just from company-specific AI models to product-specific AI models. You must have like a, a billion people working your data science team. Where do you get the time to build all these models? Well, it's it's a it's really a factor of understanding that there isn't going to be some AI model that will work for every situation, every time of day, for every language. Um, it's really about understanding what are the best types of models for different situations. So, you know, you don't need a billion people to make this work. You need a few really, really smart individuals, uh, like the people on my team, really, really <laughs> smart individuals who understand it's not just about how do we build this gigantic deep learning network that will understand anything at any time, anywhere. It's really about, well, how do we understand our client's specific needs? And then how do we deliver AI that is right for our clients? So <laughs> our Airbnb models and our Microsoft models and our Samsung models all might be very different from one another because they're all <laughs> trying to answer different questions. Is there a company that you don't work with? <laughs> like, <laughs> There's probably a few out there. We'll get them, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, fantastic. Congrats on that. Um, sounds like a very exciting space to be in. H help me understand, though. Like, So you built a business where you were the founder, your co-founder. There's two of you. Uh, you had 16 people on the team. Then along um, came uh, directly. You agreed to the acquisition. And you stayed with the business. So... Um, obviously, I guess there's usually a choice whether you leave, you just sell the business and you leave or you stay with the business. Why did you stay with the business? And what is your new role in this uh, company indirectly? So you're right. There is usually a choice. There's usually you say, well, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to walk away or you can stay on with the acquiring company. The reason I stayed on with the acquiring company, the reason I stayed with it directly was because their their product offering, their roadmap, their vision for using AI and customer experiences aligned so much with Kylie that the acquisition really felt more like a merger, right? We had product offerings that they were hoping to build in, in 2020, and you know, they had this network of experts that we knew were going to be so beneficial to our AI models. It just felt like a perfect match. So really for me and my co-founder, it really didn't feel like we had to choose between working with them or leaving. We really wanted to work with directly. It just felt so natural and, and like a perfect match for our teams and for our, our AI and for our product offering. So it was really, really nice to have that match up together. Nice. Did you get to meet the executive team before the acquisition? Like feel for what kind of people they are? Yeah. And, and for anyone out there who is unfamiliar with acquisitions in the startup space, or maybe they're, they're thinking about doing one of their own, I, I highly recommend not just meeting the executive team before an acquisition, but 
really get a feel for what it's like to work there. I, one, one of my favorite things that Directly did um, while they were looking at us was every quarter, Directly has a hackathon where they invite everyone of the company, not just engineers, to work on a project or piece of code or something that they would not get to work on normally. And while we were going through the acquisition, while we were still in talks, directly had their hackathon. But they invited us to their hackathon. And at first, awesome. at first I said, well, you know, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't work there yet. We don't want to be imposing. And they said, absolutely not imposing. We want to see what it looks like to work with you guys. <laughs> so we actually ended up joining hackathon teams and working with uh, directly employees to feel to get a sense for what it would feel like to work together. So that's actually one of my favorite things that directly did. They really, it wasn't just about, um, it wasn't just about, okay, how much more revenue will we get? Okay. How many patents are we going to receive for them? It was really more about, well, how do we work with these people? How does Sanan fit in to our team? Uh, and to answer your other question, I, I recently come on as their director of data science. So my mm. role has really shifted from how do I build this product? How do I offer uh, this AI model, this, this data science platform to the world? And that shifts to, well, I still do that. But now I get to think about how do I, how do I bring data science to the rest of the company? How do I democratize machine learning and AI to a point where anyone at Directly feels comfortable talking about what our machine learning models do for our clients and for the market? Mm. Well, congrats, first of all, on the huge role. That's that's massive at a company uh, that large and that's working with such great customers. That's very responsible. And, and also the description of the acquisition, amazing, amazing. Like I'm learning so much just by talking about this. Um, one one thing I wanted to understand, like, first of all, uh, how big is your team and uh, directly of, uh, as the director of data science? Yeah, so we have, so the way that directly is set up, is we have our data science resources spread out among several of our of our teams or engineering teams. Uh -huh, so, uh -huh. so on my team, I have people who are data scientists, machine learning engineers, but I'm also working extremely closely with the analytics team. And while they may not be directly a department under data science, they are still, in my mind, doing exactly the same things that data scientists would do. So yeah. my team, you know, is very broad. You know, I have yeah. about probably five to 10 people at the company who are in some way performing data science tasks and who are yeah. actually doing the analytics and the machine learning behind the scenes. And we're, you know, we're still looking to grow that team. We're, we're going to be hiring relatively soon uh, for more data engineers and more data scientists and more machine learning engineers because... We're always trying to make sure that we're staying at the top when it comes to delivering that state-of-the-art NLP. That's amazing. That's 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 really great, and um, that's a really decent-sized team, five p five to ten people, and it's uh, it's exciting to hear an example. We've uh, this this has come up on the podcast before. We have companies which choose to have a centralized data science team. All the data scientists sit together. Uh, and there's, there's companies that choose to have an integrated data science team where the data scientists are spread out. And by the sounds of it, yours is more on the integrated side of things where you have data science uh, representatives within 
individual product areas of the business. It is much more. To... Yeah. Sorry, it, it is much more on the integrated side, but at the same time, we also find a lot of value in working together. So one mm-hmm. example of that is every two weeks, we have what's called a journal club. Uh, and for those of you who are you know, getting masters or PhDs, know what a journal club is, is every two weeks, we decide on an academic paper that came out in the last year. We all read it, we all digest it, and we all have to come with examples of how could we use this paper at directly. So we're always reading what's what's latest and greatest, and we're always thinking about how do we apply this to the company? Because it, it's my it's really my personal conviction to say a data scientist is neither just on the business side or just in the research side or just in the software side. We have to be able to understand each other's language. I want people who have PhDs in math thinking about how could we use this to to really ramp up our DevOps for machine learning. So I really want them really cross-functionally thinking about data science, not just sticking to, you know, quote unquote, what they do best. Amazing. Uh, Totally amazing. And um, you actually, uh, I think this is a good time to do a recruiting plug because before the podcast, you mentioned you will be hiring. You've also mentioned it now. Tell us about it because we've got <laughs> we've got ten thousand data scientists listening to this. Let's let's get them sending you Absolutely, their Absolutely, yeah. So directly is hiring, uh, and for more things than just data science, but we are hiring for data science, and that's that's for me. It's super exciting because I always love I love growing my nice. team, and I love getting different perspectives about data science. So what we're looking for are people who are ready to work with natural language processing, people who are experienced and, and people who are you know, ready to get their hands dirty with the latest and greatest in deep learning for natural language processing generation and understanding. Uh, so you know, anyone out there who is interested in working with a, a really awesome tech startup in San Francisco, uh, and is really excited about working on these really interesting problems that involve not just conversational AI, but also in robotic process automation. How do we automate these backend processes to empower these automated conversations? You know, you know, we're, you know, we want you. <laughs> you know, we want you to uh, to check us out. Man, you make it sound so exciting. I want to work for you. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. Do you, um. Especially, you know, like the work, NLP, deep learning, RPA, the cutting edge discussions about cutting edge technology integrating to the business, the culture sounds fantastic. Do you guys hire uh, people remotely or do you have to be based in San Francisco? Thanks for asking that. And we don't we don't have a specific policy on whether you have to be remote or in San Francisco. We do have remote workers. Uh, we do tend to prefer that people are in the Bay Area. And that's usually just so that we can start, to your point, to have that culture, especially at such a young, uh, or, or at, a, at a young stage of a startup, uh, it's really important for us to make sure that our culture is being built as well as we possibly can. But we do offer a remote position. So you know, if you're thinking, I don't live in San Francisco, I can't even apply, uh, don't think that way. You know, please, please do apply even if you don't live in the Bay Area. Fantastic. Uh, and indeed, like if if you're really good at NLP, you're really passionate about NLP. Like, are you or there's somebody really passionate about NLP that 
comes to to you and says, "Hey, I live in Budapest uh, or somewhere else." Um, why wouldn't you hire them? Yeah, right, absolutely. you're getting a super talented person from the other side of the absolutely. world. Absolutely, fantastic. Well, I hope everybody's excited. How do they get in touch? So now, just so we we put that one to rest. Of course. So on the website directly.com, we do have a page full of all of our positions that we're hiring for. And again, like I said, it's not just data science. We are also always looking for full stack, back end, front end engineers. Even if you have a data science mind, that's even better, right? I love working with yeah. stack engineers who have built functioning websites around machine machine learning. And I think in Fantastic. in today's age, that's really important. As as more and more people are switching to containerized applications and working with things like, you know, Amazon's Elastic Container Service or Kubernetes. It's really important for a data scientist not just to understand the models, but understand how do I take these models that I'm building and deliver them to the world with high availability and low latency. So it's not just machine learning engineers and statisticians that we're looking for. Is I'm really looking for people who have data skills and also own the models themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people who have data skills can run the models themselves um very very exciting times um yeah what was i gonna say natural language processing and um rpa combined what what a really cool thing and oh this is what i was gonna say that people listening to i love this stuff people listening to this podcast just if you're gonna apply just put in the application that i heard sinan's Sinan on the Super Data Science Podcast. And right away, like, they know the director of data science. Like, how much ahead are they compared to other people <laughs> who apply who don't, who haven't heard you? Right. Crazy. Hmm. Another way to get the job is come to Data Science Go 2020. Sinan is going to be presenting there, doing a workshop for advanced uh, practitioners and maybe more. So just meet Sinan at Data Science Go and <laughs> give That's him right. your resume in person. That's right. No, I love that. I mean, people always say, you know, I hate being handed resumes. I hate it when people come up to me uh, and when I'm doing something else. I love it. I mean, I used to be a teacher. I had open office hours. I love it when people come up to me and say, hey, you know, I heard you on the podcast. I just wanted to give you my resume or just want to send you my business card. To me, as someone who is, is both an entrepreneur, a data scientist, and a teacher, I love meeting people and I love when people show that initiative and I just love talking to people about what they love to do. So please, yes, come up to me and, and hand me a resume. Um, I am fine with that. Fantastic. Thanks, man. And speaking of uh, Data Science Go, do you, uh, first of all, thanks for accepting the invitation. Very excited. Of course. And uh, what are your thoughts on what, you, what your workshop is going to be about or your talk? Any ideas? So, that's, you know what, I have so many ideas and I, I'm not just saying that because I have no ideas, but I really do. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll workshop a few of them right now with you. Maybe you can give me some of your, your feedback. Sounds good. One thing that I really want to start talking about more is, like I said before, how do you take those models that you've built? You know, you're, these great models, they have great metrics, they're performing well, uh, and they they work in your Jupyter notebook, maybe. But how do I deliver that model to the world? How do I put it in a place where people can use it whenever they need to use it? How do I build APIs around my models? How do I build 
you know, websites around my models. I think that might be something that I'll explore uh, in, in, in teaching people not just how to build those those uh, machine learning models, but how do you actually integrate them into your systems? How do you actually deliver them to the world? Very cool. I like. Yeah, that. I, like, I like that, that idea. That's so, really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what what tools would be involved in that? So for that, really depends on the the way we want to take it, but. We want, we'd probably want to learn about some web frameworks, maybe like a Flask or Django. We'd also learn about mm-hmm. Docker and Docker containers and con- containers in general. We'd also want to talk about how to deploy those containers using something like Kubernetes so and how to get it to the cloud. And there's this whole pipeline uh, of how do, you, mm-hmm. how do you serve up machine learning models. And you take it one step further, once it's an API, how do you build a website on top of that? How do you build a Chrome extension that can actually call that call that API so people can use it in real time? So I think that's one of the routes I'm thinking of going. And the other route mm-hmm. is really just addressing this kind of renaissance in natural language processing, you know, focusing on things like BERT, transformer architecture, GPT-2, and really diving in not just into the, the inner workings of these deep learning models, but really what is their best use case in the real world? Because I think that's something that sometimes can get glossed over is, wow, there's these great models out there. There's BERT, there's Elmo, there's the there's you know all of these different models coming out. But what do I do with them? How can I even begin to use such complicated models when I don't have a PhD in whatever? Uh, and I think that would be something that I would want to really dive into is how do you actually use the latest and greatest in NLP for you know what sometimes may be considered even the simplest of problems. So I think I'm kind of between the the DevOps, the Dockerizing, the serving up machine learning architecture versus really diving deep into the latest and greatest in NLP and using that to build the next generation of natural language models. Wow, that's such a tough choice. Both are amazing. And and actually both sound like huge workshops. Like, are, are you sure you can cover all like Flask, Django, Docker, Kubernetes in three, two, three hours? Uh, I think we can do it. I think for the people who really want to learn it, I think we can do it. Uh, and, and the reason yeah. I think that is because it all works together so well. I think that yeah. if you know, if we need more than three hours to go through, at the very least, the high levels of how it all works with an example and actually building one ourselves, uh, I think it's not being explained the right way. I think there really is this kind of natural flow between building out a model and serving it up in Kubernetes that I think really. Uh, can be addressed in two to three hours. Yeah, amazing, amazing um, choices. It's it's going to be really hard to pick, but I guess we'll find out and uh, we'll all see at Data Science Go 2020. So uh, now let's switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about natural language processing. So uh, BERT, it's been in the air for a while now. Everybody's talking about BERT. What is BERT and like, what what is what is it used for in a nutshell? Yeah, of course. 
So BERT is one of those latest and greatest NLP models that I was talking about before. And the papers that originally started talking about BERT, which, uh, b- by the way, stands for uh, bidirectional, uh, bidirectional encoder representations from transformers, but that's not really that important. I think the first papers came out late 2018 about it. And what it is, is a language modeling architecture. So what that really means is it's a way of pre-training a deep learning network to take in text, whether it's English or, or multilingual text, taking in that language and representing the context as a vector. So if you think about it, you know, and for those of you who are working with something like a scikit-learn or TF-IDF vectorization, uh, what those do in, in a nutshell are not so different. They're taking in text and they're outputting vectors that represent that text. BERT and other uh, architectures like it, especially transformer architectures, are trying to do something very similar. They're trying to take in text and represent that text as a series of numbers, as a vector. And those vectors can then be used to train or fine tune a new model for a downstream task. And when I say downstream task, I mean like a classification problem or a sentiment analysis or or something like that. So BERT is really a way to take in language, words, strings, sentences, phrases, and represent those pieces of text as a vector. Because as you know, as we all know, machine learning models don't work well with text, they work well with vectors. So it's that mm-hmm. that's that mapping from text to vectors that is all important in natural language processing. So BERT is one of those latest and greatest that are able to take in text in output context, output vectors, that have been used to achieve state-of-the-art results in a, in a bunch of natural language processing tasks like SQUAD. What is SQUAD? SQUAD, oh, yes. Well, SQUAD is the Stanford Question and Answering Dataset. So it's basically a, a problem where you use a model to ask a question and, and give it a paragraph that has the answer to that question in it. And it's up to the deep learning model to say where in this paragraph is the answer to the question. Uh, and, it, and it's one of those data sets that are used pretty widely to illustrate how well their language modeling works. Is you know, BERT was able to achieve a, a, a metric or achieve a performance on the squad data set that outperformed many of the former state-of-the-art models. Mm. Okay. Wow. That's that's very cool. So, um, help me understand, please. Is the main difference between BERT and other languages? Because the the reason I'm asking is this idea of vectorizing words has been around for for ages, probably decades. But uh, is it is my understanding correct that the main difference between BERT and the existing prior existing models is that it rather than vectorizing words, it actually vectorizes context. So I think there's a way to think about it where previous or or more simple text vectorization problems are really looking at the the tokens, the words themselves, and assuming that individual tokens 
are a representative of the context. So I think both mm -hmm. types of models are trying to map context correctly. What BERT is doing, or, or one of the things that it's doing to achieve those state-of-the-art results, is it's working in a in a bi-directional uh, in, in a bi-directional format, meaning it's it's basically reading the text both left to right and right to left. And that sounds ah. that sounds kind of you know well what does that mean? But in <laughs> right, like, who cares? But what that really yeah, means, yeah. Why would you do that? Exactly. But what that really means is the the language model is trying to understand. Well, I I both want to know what the words mean, but I also want to know what the words mean when they're stringed together one at a time. So if I were uh -huh. to say, you know, I like this dog, you know, if I read it from left to right. As a human, we obviously can understand that context. If we were to pick yeah. out the words and say like and dog, those words by themselves don't really mean much to the sentence overall. Yeah. But what Bert is trying to do is say, well, let me take in this phrase, let me read it left to right and right to left, and then basically try to understand not only the words that are being used, but the combinations of words and the sequence of words so it tries to understand the sequence of words. So reading backwards, it would be dog, this, like, I. And how does that add value to the algorithm reading it backwards? What, what additional insights does it get from that? Of course. So the way that Bird is trained is really the key here. So the way Bird is mm. trained is what's called uh, word masking. And, and basically what that means is we our training set are phrases, input texts, and we randomly take out words. And the goal of the model is to say, given the rest of the sentence, what word should be here? So I may have said, I like this blank because it is a very loyal companion. The goal is mm -hmm. to predict the word dog by using the words to the left and to the right. So by mm -hmm. reading it in a bi-directional fashion, you understand, well, if you read it left to right, I like this blank, that alone is not going to tell you the answer to the question. But if you read it from right to left, you would say, because it is a loyal companion, and you say, oh, okay, loyal companion sounds like it's probably a dog. So understanding mm -hmm. what's to the left and to the right of that missing word really helps put that one word into context. So directional. Mm -hmm. Uh, nature of the architecture helps to helps the model to understand everything around the words in the sentence. And the way that the model is trained with word masking really helps the model understand how do I simply pick up words and move them around without changing the meaning of the sentence itself. So it's really both about the bi-directional architecture and the word masking as a training. Wow, blowing my mind here. That is amazing. What do you do in cases like uh, what you might you probably experience at um, um, directly where you have live conversations where you know you the text, the whole sentence is not available. So you can't really read it right to left because it's the sentence is not finished. Somebody's still talking or they're still typing it up. Um, or the conversation isn't over, like what, what does it work there as well? So I think the way to really think about it is BERT as a tool is used to model input text uh, for any number of downstream tasks. So you could basically take mm -hmm. BERT 
and say, I'm going to use a pre-trained BERT. So a BERT that was trained on, let's say, Wikipedia or Twitter or some large corpus. I'm going to take that BERT and then I'm going to train a separate task, which may be what is the next word in this stream of thought. So, and that's what, that's what really transfer theory is all about. Transfer learning is about how do I take this model, which has already been trained on one data set, and then use that model to train a task for a different data set. So BERT can be used to do natural language generation, even though BERT itself is not a natural language generation type model. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. That is, that is really insightful. So that that's what the whole, um, what did, what did you call it? The oh, the transfer theory. Mm-hmm. That's what the transfer theory is all about. Very interesting. So do you guys use this at directly? So Bert is yeah. So Bert is actually one of the many types of models that we deploy to our clients. I believe I said earlier, every single one of our clients' product offerings have own unique and different machine learning and AI model. BERT is just one of those many options. So we use BERT and we'd also use some other types of multilingual transformer architecture. Uh, so BERT is not the only thing that we are doing at directly, but it is one of the state-of-the-art models that we are offering to our clients. Gotcha. Well, Sinan, completely amazing conversation. Totally loving it. Um, we're running short on time, but I do want to ask you one more thing. Of course. And that is like, we're heading into 2020. What is your prediction for NLP, for the future of NLP in 2020? Mm-hmm. I think in 2020, what we're going to start seeing, I mean, we're already seeing it, but what we're going to see a lot more of is integration of automated conversations, not just in our Alexas and in our phones. But we're really going to start to interact with these automated conversation systems at work. We'll start interacting with them in shopping malls. We'll start interacting with them in places where we previously didn't really think we wanted them. And, and that's going to be both good and bad. And I think companies who are who are working diligently on, on curating and creating these conversational experiences with AI really have to think about you know, as I always come back to the context. So I think we're going to start seeing we're going to start seeing AI in new places where where concerns about privacy and bias are going to come up, and it's really up to the data scientists and the data practitioners to to alleviate uh, consumers' uh, troubles and fears, and really make sure that everyone trusts and is comfortable with the AI that they're interacting with. Wow, that's that is so true. I was uh, presenting at a conference recently for um, L and D managers and leaders about the future of artificial intelligence. Just just generally what AI is, and one of the top uh, trends was natural language processing. And then later, like a few weeks later, one of the people that I networked with there, uh, like an executive or um, L and D manager or leader, they emailed me asking me if I knew any good conversational designers and i was like is that even a job like yeah what, it is what is a co-? and now yeah I, I looked into it a bit more indeed yeah for all these chatbots for all these as you said conversational experiences 
now we need design. This really ties into the whole point. You know, like how people are, oh, AI is taking over jobs. We're losing jobs. Well, according to the World Economic Forum research from 2018, uh, for every job that AI displaces, there'll be 1.7 new jobs that will be created. And this is like a real life example, like conversational designer, seriously, that those words never came up one in that sequence before, you know, three years ago or before that. Now it's, it's apparently going to be a big profession. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned conversation design because actually we were just talking about it um, at directly. The idea of conversation design has been around for a while. You know, humans have been helping other humans uh, have conversations more effectively. But to your point, now we're going to start to have humans who are helping AI have more fluent conversations. So these, these jobs are, are shifting between helping humans versus AI, but the concept has always really been around for conversation design. But now it's going to become even more relevant as companies create more and more automated conversational experiences. We have to make sure that they are fluent, that they are, people are comfortable with them, that people actually want to talk to them. Now, if you build an AI that no one wants to talk to, it could be useless in some sense of the word. Exactly. How like I, oof, some companies I call up and it's just a terrible experience sitting on the phone, waiting for a human to reply, this music playing in the background or even worse, an advertise, yeah. advertisement playing. That's ridiculous, right? Like how much, how much better will everybody's life be when we have AI doing these conversations and then humans who are no longer have to like service a million customers and therefore there's a huge waiting line. Now those same humans can train the AI and tailor those conversations, whether it's to Airbnb, to Microsoft, uh, to Samsung, whatever company you're calling about, you're going to have an amazing experience. I, I think it's a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Sinan, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. One question I do have for you before we go. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners uh, that's impacted your life in the past year or so? A book that I have not written, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will make sure to link to all of Sinan's books in the show notes. He is uh, definitely worth reading. But yeah, a book that you have not written. You know, uh, I, I've been thinking about this and I've one thing that I've been reading a lot of, and it's not a book per se, but recently, I've started signing up for as many data science and AI newsletters as I can. Mm. Now, and that sounds almost like I'm, I'm inviting people to spam my inbox. But <laughs> what I really get from that is a lot of different perspectives around AI and yeah. data science that I, I definitely would not have gone in my day-to-day -day life. You know, even just today, I, uh, in my Medium newsletter that I get, the first article was about you know, how to appropriately do hypothesis testing for machine learning performance evaluation. And I go, huh, you know, I've done that before, but I'm curious to see this person's take on how to do it. And then in a separate newsletter yeah. today, I, I'm reading about different facial recognition bands uh, in, in different states and different countries and their reasonings for doing so. So I'm getting not only this statistical idea, but I'm also getting this policy and government governmental idea about AI. So th getting these different perspectives 
from these different newsletters, I think is sometimes sometimes even more valuable than just reading a single book that has one potentially one or a few perspectives. Very interesting. So what's your favorite newsletter so far? My favorite newsletter, I mean, so far has actually just been the daily uh, medium curation. I think uh, the medium articles, I think I get such a wide variety of, you know, of people saying, here's, you know, Bert from start to finish. And then right under that is, you know, here's what it looks like to spin up a Dockerized container in Kubernetes for machine learning. So you get this really wide variety of different people talking about different aspects of data science that I've really been enjoying the, the daily medium uh, newsletter. I actually, I, I, I try to read at least one or two a day. Wow. Oh, that's crazy. How, how do you find the time for that? That is insane. I'm a morning person, so that helps. <laughs> okay. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually, oh, when was it? Like two or three days ago, I was sitting reading uh, newsletters myself, and I don't do them every day. Like, I, I, you're superhuman if you can do it every day. But um, I'm subscribed to two. One is the Abundance Insider. You, I think you'll like it. It's not just about... Uh, data science and AI. It's about more like technology in the world uh, by Peter Diamandis. It's free and it comes like once a week on Fridays and they curate like the top five developments in um, exponential technologies in the world for that week. And the other one, uh, I like, <laughs> might sound like a plug, but I was actually reading our own newsletter, which we have at Super Data Science. It's at superdatascience.com slash DSI for Data Science Insider. And like our team curates exactly what you mentioned, like the top five AI, machine learning, deep learning, whatever else developments in the world for the past week. And the, the value I see in these things, like uh, I, why I can you know, like relate to what you're saying is there's so much stuff going on and so much hype and so much like some things are like just fake news or incorrect, some things are insignificant and stuff. It's much cooler when somebody curates it for you and like, okay, Sanan, Here's the top article for today, or here are the top five for this week that you will probably be interested in. And acts as a filter from all of this like barrage of news that's coming at you every day. That's that yeah. would be my take. Yeah, no, it. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's about getting as many perspectives as you can without overloading yourself. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. You should check out ours, the Data Science Insider. I think you might like it. Sounds I'll send good. You a link later. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, Sinan, once again, a huge pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, very, very valuable insights. And I can't wait. I'm going to personally attend your workshop at uh, Data Science Go. It sounds like a very exciting thing. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me on. And I can't wait for the fourth time. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, that was Sinan Ozdemir. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. This has been one of the best podcasts I've had. Sinan's just got such a great energy about him. I love talking to him every single time. And plus, of course, the content is amazing. How cool is that? Learned about startups, acquisitions, explainable AI, case study, use cases, how they're hiring, about BERT, NLP state of the art things. I learned so much about Bert. It's crazy. So yeah, lots of favorite things. If you enjoyed the talk, make sure to hit Sinan up, connect with him. We're going to share his um, LinkedIn and other 
places where you can find them in the show notes at superdatascience.com slash 333. That's com slash 333. If you know anybody who's interested in natural language processing or who is looking for a job at a cool company such as Directly, um, then send them, a, send them this podcast. Uh, very easy to share. Send them superdaysands.com slash 333. Very easy to remember as well. Triple three. And finally, if you want to meet Sinan in person, make sure to get your ticket to Data Science Go 2020 US. It's happening on the 6th, 7th, and 8th of November 2020. Be there, meet Sinan and lots of other inspiring data scientists. Last time in 2019, we had people fly in from 25 countries from all over the world to connect and network. So this is the place to be. Sinan will be there. He'll be running at least one workshop, maybe two, or maybe a workshop and a talk, maybe a workshop and a panel. We will see, but definitely you'll get to meet him there and chat to him all about NLP and hand him your resume if you want to. On that note, thank you so much, my friends, for being here, for being part of this amazing conversation with Sinan. Huge shout out to Sinan. Thank you so much. And huge shout out to Directly for acquiring Sinan's uh, startup and sparking this amazing conversation. Thank you so much, everybody. And I'll see you next time. Till then, happy analyzing. <laughs>